part four of henry wirtz commander of andersonville confederate prison trial and execution by united states army staff judge advocate part four closing statement of judge advocate prosecutor part one argument of the judge advocate special military commission washington d c friday october twenty eighteen sixty five the court met pursuant to adjournment present all the members and the judge advocate the prisoner and his counsel were also present the proceedings of the last meeting were read and approved the judge advocate submitted the following argument may it please the court deeply sensible of the importance and solemnity with which you have clothed this trial and quickened as i know you are to a high sense of duty by the obligation you have taken to well and truly try and determine according to the evidence the matter now before you between the united states of america and the prisoner to be tried and to duly administer justice according to your conscience the best of your understanding and the custom of war no word of mine is needed to increase the impressiveness of this occasion in many of its aspects and bearings this trial presents features more startling more extraordinary and more momentous than are found in the whole annals of jurisprudence the charges and specifications here laid accuse this prisoner and other persons named and unnamed with having maliciously traitorously and in violation of the laws of war conspired to impair and injure the health and to destroy the lives by subjecting to torture and great suffering by confining in unhealthy and unwholesome quarters by exposing to the inclemency of winter and to the dews and burning sun of summer by compelling the use of impure water and by furnishing insufficient and unwholesome food of large numbers of soldiers in the military service of the united states held as prisoners of war at andersonville georgia by the so-called confederate states of america to the end that the armies of the united states might be weakened and impaired and the insurgents engaged in armed rebellion against the united states might be aided and comforted i invoke gentlemen your calm deliberation your most dispassionate and humane judgment while i endeavour to unfold the proofs of guilt in a field so broad presenting so many issues and involving so many persons it has been a question of grave thought with me how to present the argument in this case my desire being only to give to the court a perspicuous and faithful analysis of the testimony nothing extenuating and setting down naught in malice with this view i have thought it best to notice first such legal objections as have been made to the commission as a judicial tribunal and such other objections as may be deemed worthy of notice touching the manner in which the case has been tried second to present a truthful analysis of the testimony without regard to the responsibility of parties for the purpose of ascertaining as nearly as language can portray them the horrors of andersonville that we may be prepared to appreciate fully the fearful responsibility of those inculpated by the evidence third 
to examine charge first alleging conspiracy in this connection showing the extent of the conspiracy its purposes and the criminality of each of the conspirators and fourth to show the guilt of the prisoner at the bar under charge second alleging murder in violation of the laws of war jurisdiction of the court among the numerous special pleas filed by the counsel denying the right of the court to try the prisoner there is but one i believe which has not been abandoned this is the plea to the jurisdiction i can hardly suppose that any member of this commission entertains a doubt on this point yet i do not feel at liberty to pass unnoticed a question so seriously made and about which honest and loyal men differ if there be neither law safe precedent nor right upon which to base this proceeding then it is a serious assumption of power and alike dangerous to yourselves and the prisoner and one in the exercise of which the order of his excellency the president will not protect you while i have yet to read the adverse opinion of a single lawyer given outside the court-room who speaks from the standpoint of one who knows from the teachings of experience how strong has been and is still the necessity of checking and punishing crimes against the laws of war committed in rebellious districts during and in aid of rebellion against the government yet it must be conceded that there is a colour of reason in the argument and it is because with great persistency your right to proceed is denied that i shall presume to address myself to this question as we recede from a state of actual war and approach a condition of profound peace we doubtless travel away from the cornerstone upon which the military commission as a judicial tribunal rests but that your right to try the case before you is disturbed by a mere suspension of hostilities on the part of the rebels in the field while the spirit of rebellion is still rampant i do not for a moment suppose and in a very brief resume of the argument on the subject i hope to make it so appear as i view this question of jurisdiction it is one of both law and fact to determine which each case must rest upon its own merits it involves a question of law in determining whether a court of this kind can be legally constituted and a question of fact as to whether the present case can be thus tried for a military court may be properly constituted yet the case brought before it not properly triable by it if this be true the subject may be disposed of in the examination of the following questions first has the president of the united states the constitutional power to convene a military commission for the trial of military offences committed in time of war second is this case triable by military i believe it is not claimed by any that the power assumed by the president in convening this commission for the purpose named in the order dwells in him except in time of war and great public danger or during insurrection or rebellion your jurisdiction is a special one resting upon no written law but derived wholly from the war powers of the president and congress which are themselves of course derivable from the constitution 
if it can be shown to safely rest upon these you become invested not only with a right but a high duty to sustain it in obedience to the proper order of your commander-in-chief on an examination of the opinions expressed against the right claimed you will discover the whole argument to rest upon the negative declaration or prohibitory clauses of our fundamental law denying to congress the exercise of certain powers as for example no person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on presentment or indictment of a grand jury etc etc in all criminal prosecutions the accused shall enjoy the right of a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury etc articles five and six amendments to constitution the trial of all crimes except in cases of impeachment shall be by jury article two section second constitution whatever else may be brought into the argument these and kindred clauses are the real source of complaint whence a misguided loyalty a supertechnical judgment have found reason for withholding their approval of the measures adopted by the government through the military commissioner to aid in suppressing a rebellion for its overthrow and hence you are told gravely the act of the president is a usurpation of power this court without a legal existence your proceedings a nullity for a moment let us try and ascertain the purpose of those who frame the constitution and by fair interpretation arrive at the true meaning of that great chart of liberty alexander hamilton wrote at the time the constitution was being canvassed before the people for final adoption the circumstances that endanger the safety of nations are infinite and for this reason no constitutional shackles can wisely be imposed on the power to which the care of it is committed this is one of those truths which to a correct and unprejudiced mind carries its own evidence along with it and may be obscured but cannot be made plainer by argument or reasoning the means ought to be proportioned to the end the persons from whose agency the attainment of any end is expected ought to possess the means by which it is to be attained federalist number twenty three mr madison in speaking of the impossibility of anticipating the exigencies which might arise and the futility of legislating for what could not be anticipated at the same time insisting that the powers as granted to the president and congress are now ample for every emergency says it is vain to impose constitutional barriers to the impulse of self-preservation it is worse than in vain because it plants in the constitution itself necessary usurpations of power ibid number forty one many years later and after its adoption with such light flooded upon it as the great minds of those early days could shed mr adams in unequivocal phrase enunciated the same idea in speaking of the authority of congress in time of war he says all the powers incident to war are by necessary implication conferred upon the government of the united states there are then in the authority of congress and of the executive two classes of powers altogether different in their nature and often incompatible with each other the war power and the peace power 
the peace power is limited by regulations and restricted by provisions prescribed within the constitution itself the war power is limited only by the laws and usages of nations this power is tremendous it is strictly constitutional but it breaks down every barrier so anxiously erected for the protection of liberty of property and of life these are bold words uttered when civil war was not impending when a powerful rebellion to overthrow this great nation could hardly have been anticipated the opinion of a great mind and a pure patriot with judgment free from the tyranny of partisan clamour they come to us with all the force of law itself do you find difficulty in reconciling these constitutional incompatibilities your statute punishes assault and battery yet a law underlying the statute not expressed says you may resist force with force and this well-grounded rule will allow you to defend yourself even to the slaying of your antagonist necessity knows no law inadequate to its demands and self-preservation antedates all law who shall say that a government in whose perpetuation rest the hopes of the world a constitution broad enough and liberal enough to protect the rights of all over whom it reaches a people whose confidence in the perfection of their form of government four years of internecine war have not shaken who shall say that these are denied nature's first law no these lawgivers and wise men of olden and modern times spoke truly when they laid down the doctrine that the principle of self-preservation belongs to nations no less than to individuals and that it is not in the power of a nation to code away this right the supreme court of the united states has in numerous decisions declared that congress and the executive possess the right to do whatever the public safety may require to suppress rebellion or repel invasions four wheaton four twenty twelve wheaton one nineteen to one twenty eight eight crunch fifteen this opinion was entertained by the fathers of the constitution and is found embodied in congressional legislation as early as seventeen ninety two reiterated in seventeen ninety five and eighteen o seven which seem to have been statutes made to meet just such emergencies as this war brought upon us see statutes at large volume one pages two sixty four four twenty four volume two page four nineteen in twelve wheaton martin versus mott mr justice story in an opinion sustaining the constitutionality of these laws says the president is the exclusive judge of the exigency and his action must be conclusive of the exigency thus taking from the supreme court the right to impeach the president's judgment this same opinion is sustained in luther v borden seven howard forty two forty three i suppose it will not be denied that war changes the relations of all parties brought into antagonism as belligerents by it no one can attack me without forfeiting his right for redress if i injure him by proper resistance without resorting to the forms of law to make him keep the peace and no one can levy war upon our government without placing himself beyond the aegis of the constitution 
it must be remembered when objection is made to the exercise of this necessary power of the president that what might be a good plea for a loyal citizen who has committed a civil offence against the criminal statutes of the land is not a good plea for a traitor who is on trial for the commission of a military offence against the laws of war as we are endeavouring to determine whether the president can by right exercise the power to organize a court for the trial of military offences committed by those not in the military service it may not be necessary to pursue this line of argument further let me however place by antithesis some things expressly prohibited in the constitution but which it is generally conceded may be done in time of war the united states shall guarantee to every state a republican form of government and shall protect each of them against invasion constitution article four section four yet the whole power of the government has been concentrated in one grand invasion of the south for four years the right of the people to be secure in their persons houses papers etc against search and so forth shall not be violated and no warrant shall issue but upon probable cause supported by oath etc amendment constitution article four yet i suspect an action of trespass would not lie against the officer who broke open certain escritoires bringing to light the proofs of conspiracies entered into by leading rebels south and north to poison burn and assassinate no soldier in time of war shall be quartered in any house without the consent of the owner but in a manner to be prescribed by law amendment constitution article three yet it was hardly expected that our generals in an enemy's country could consult the statutes in such case made and provided the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed ibid article one yet the general or executive who would fearing to violate this right permit the knights of the golden circle or any other hostile combination to organize or menace the government could hardly defend himself before his country the freedom of speech shall not be abridged ibid article one yet who would hesitate to say that the inciter of treason by speech is no less a traitor than he who raises his hand against the government private property shall not be taken without just compensation ibid article five yet during the rebellion millions of dollars worth have been seized and used for military purposes without any process of law whatever and millions more have been libelled under the confiscation act of congress and converted to public use without just compensation who so bold as to deny the principle upon which this has been done article four section eleven constitution provides for the recapture of slaves escaping to free states and the supreme court of the united states has said also pledges the federal government to protect the rights thus secured to slave owners against and in violation of which rises like a pillar of fire the proclamation of freedom apotheosizing its author the crowning glory of his administration the highest proof that our cause is approved in the forum conscientiae how can there be such antagonisms in our magna charta how are these things defensible 
they are the incompatibilities of which mr madison speaks we see here the harmony at the same time the conflicts between the war powers and the peace powers of which mr adams speaks and there is presented in strong light the adaptation of means to ends which mr hamilton insists upon and above all that inherent power which spurns all barriers and grounds itself upon great first principles dwells always with the source of all power and is inseparable from it the people and declares as fearlessly as it battles that in times of war and great public danger laws and constitutions are silent if they stand in the way of the nation's life but it is said that congress may have the power to create military commissions yet as it has not done so or conferred that right upon the president it is therefore an unwarrantable assumption it seems to me that as the constitution expressly confers no power of this kind upon congress it matters little whether congress or the president exercise it and if one can do so with equal right can the other the whole question still rests upon necessity to meet which the neglect of one will not excuse the other still inquiring whether this can be done in any case let us recur a moment to opinions contemporaneous with the constitution we began our struggle for independence under the articles of confederation and it is well known that the colonies reserved all rights to themselves not expressly delegated to the confederacy then as now there were traitors whose crimes partaking of the nature of military offences were made punishable by military courts if you will examine the legislation of the country it will be found that from seventeen seventy five down to the present time authority has been conferred upon military courts to try civilians for the commission of certain offences see acts of congress seventh november seventeen seventy five seventeenth june seventeen seventy six twenty seventh february seventeen seventy eight twenty third april eighteen hundred tenth april eighteen o six thirteenth february eighteen sixty two seventeenth july eighteen sixty two congress conferred this jurisdiction on both courts-martial and military commission until during this war however resorting to the court-martial now it has been frequently decided by the supreme court that a court-martial is a tribunal provided for in the rules and articles of war but with a jurisdiction limited to military persons as well as military offences so that it is as much a usurpation to try a civilian by court-martial as before a military commission admitting this we find ourselves strongly fortified by those early enactments especially in the light of the decisions of the supreme court stuart v laird one cranch two ninety nine decides that a cotemporary exposition or construction of the constitution acquiesced in for a period of years fixes it beyond the reach of doubt and we are compelled to conclude that the power assumed grows out of a necessity of which congress or the president must judge at the time many things are proper to be done in time of peace which in time of war become high crimes no criminal code and no civil criminal tribunal can reach these they are incident to 
and grow out of a state of war every student of history whether or not he may have studied law understands this it is a timid loyalty a yielding to doubtful and hasty clamour that during this war questioned a practice sanctioned by all nations and begun on this continent cotemporary with the constitution but again a declaration of war institutes a code of laws for the government of the belligerents known as the laws of nations and this is true of an insurrection as well as of a foreign war so that we are to look more to the custom of nations than to our own constitution for guides we have enumerated some of our constitutional guarantees intended to protect all persons but it will hardly be pretended that rebels war traders assassins in aid of rebellion banditti guerillas and spies could plead them or derive any immunity by them the true guide and the higher power is the law of war and the customs of civilized nations from a recent opinion of the present attorney-general given in support of the commission for the trial of the president's assassins taking this view i extract the following a military tribunal exists under and according to the constitution in time of war congress may prescribe how all such tribunals are to be constituted what shall be their jurisdiction and mode of procedure should congress fail to create such tribunals then under the constitution they must be constituted according to the laws and usages of civilized warfare and they may take cognizance of such offences as the laws of war permit that the laws of nations constitute a part of the laws of the land is established from the face of the constitution upon principle and by authority see also opinions of attorney-general volume one page twenty seven five wheaton one fifty three he then proceeds to show that an army has to deal with two classes of enemies one of which is the open active belligerent or soldier in uniform who observes the law of war the other is a violator of the laws of war and usages of civilized nations who when caught may be shot down as an enemy to the human race or tried by military courts and subjected to such punishment as the laws of war authorize here as before we see that the only safe rule is to place in the hands of the commander-in-chief of the army or his subordinates acting under proper orders full and exclusive discretion as to the means to be used to protect the existence of his army subject only to be held responsible for the abuse of the discretion so conferred and whether he resort to military commission court-martial drumhead court summary and instantaneous execution right reason and wise public policy must sustain him so long as he keeps within the code of civilized nations i do not think it necessary to notice the distinction made between material law and military law your guide being as i conceive it the law of nations rather than either i might remark however that military law is a part of the law of the land in times of peace and war but martial law is an incident of war and may or may not be declared i do not rest your right however to sit as a military commission upon the action of the president in this particular 
he may not have declared martial law to be in force still your existence be legal he may not have suspended the writ of habeas corpus still your jurisdiction be undisturbed to declare martial law is one act of war power to suspend the writ of habeas corpus another to order this court to try the prisoner before it another it is an error to suppose there must be an enemy menacing you pendente lite a declaration of war a suspension of trial by civil tribunal before you can proceed the civil courts may be in never so complete operation the enemy in a remote part of the country and the place of trial in the midst of a peaceful portion of the land still if there be a necessity and the offence be properly punishable by the laws of war the duty at once falls upon the proper officer to meet that necessity as the public safety may require i believe this view to be sustained by the best military writers and a legitimate sequence of the argument in support of military commissions the practice of european powers confirms this opinion the right having never been seriously questioned but its abuse being provided for by bills of indemnity if further precedent be required it is amply presented in the action of president washington during the whiskey insurrection of seventeen ninety four and seventeen ninety five of president jefferson during the burr conspiracy of eighteen o six of general jackson in eighteen fourteen at new orleans and afterwards in florida in all of which cases though of infinitely less moment compared with the exigencies growing out of the present war it was enunciated that whatever the existing necessity demands must be done see halleck's international law page three seventy one three eighty and cases cited second having presented sufficient reasons for concluding that the president has usurped no authority and violated no laws in constituting you a military court for the trial of military offences it remains to notice whether the present case comes within the scope of your jurisdiction here i think we will have less difficulty as it is more a question of fact than law this prisoner is charged with the perpetration of offences many of them unknown to common law or statute law they were committed by a belligerent in his own territory in the exercise of a commission assigned him by the enemy and in the execution of the orders of his superiors given in violation of the laws of war the government he served never did and never can try him no civil tribunal is possessed of power the duty then as i think devolves upon you but it is said the war is over there is no longer any necessity for military tribunals and however proper in times of war and public danger to assume the functions of civil courts there is now no reason for doing so if it were necessary i would traverse the fact the war is not over true the muskets of treason are stacked the armies of the rebellion are dissolved some of the leaders are in exile others are in prison but by far the largest portion sullen silent vengeful stand ready to seize every opportunity to divide the loyal sentiment of the country and with spirit unbroken and defiant would this day raise the standard of rebellion if they dared hope for success this opinion of the war still existing is not mine alone 
the attorney-general in his return to judge wiley's writ of habeas corpus issued for the surrender of the body of mrs surratt spoke of it in that sense congress in many of its enactments provided for a state of war after a cessation of hostilities the whole policy of the government towards the southern states sustains this idea the president by suspending judge wiley's writ in the birch case on the sixteenth of september since this trial began his adherence to president lincoln's proclamation of martial law and his declining to take any action that might be construed into a proclamation of peace all show beyond doubt that the time of public danger has not passed but however this may be with the fact you have nothing to do the president by constituting you a court to try this prisoner has by that act alone declared the presence of a public danger and that a necessity exists to still cling to military tribunals for the punishment of military offences and it is beyond your power to dispute his judgment you may perhaps pass upon the question as to whether you are a court but as to the emergency requiring you to try and punish this prisoner if guilty the president is the sole judge the supreme court has so decided as we have before seen i hope then gentlemen you may find it not against your consciences or judgment to proceed to a final verdict in this case and that you may illustrate the wisdom expressed in the judicial opinion of one of our most eminent jurists given in four wheaton three sixteen the government of the union is a government of the people it emanates from them its powers are granted by them and are to be exercised for their benefit and the government which has a right to do and act and has imposed upon it the duty of performing the act must according to the dictates of reason be allowed to select the means having thus disposed of the question of jurisdiction i ask indulgence a moment to notice some of the objections which have been made by the counsel for the prisoner in the progress of the trial i am not prepared to believe that this court would stultify itself by declaring that their action after argument pro and con as to the admissibility of evidence overruling of motions of pleas or sustaining the same was wrong and that they now desire to correct it however as the conduct of the case has been somewhat criticised and as the counsel who declined to argue the defence intimated that a large part of the address would have been directed to those objections and has asked that they be not wholly overlooked i think it is not entirely out of place to review at this time very briefly the points of objection it has been frequently asserted in court by counsel that the whole power of the government was concentrated upon the prosecution of this prisoner and that he single-handed and without the aid of the government has been conducting the defence it is well known that witnesses for the defence receive a per diem and their actual expenses in coming to the court and returning to their homes the records of this court will show that every subpoena asked for has been given except in the cases of a few rebel functionaries who for reasons stated at the time were not subpoenaed of this however there should be no complaint as the facts which those witnesses were expected to establish were shown by other witnesses 
and as a proposition was made by the judge's advocate to admit that those witnesses thus excluded would testify here to the same facts a proposition which was declined by the counsel the records of this court will also show that there have been one hundred and six witnesses subpoenaed for the defence of whom sixty-eight reported of these thirty-nine many of them soldiers of our army and sufferers at andersonville were discharged without being put upon the stand the counsel for reasons known only to himself declining to call them besides this the government has without a precedent furnished at great expense to the prisoner a copy of the record from day to day during the progress of the trial the government has also given his counsel the benefit of its clerical force and in short shown the prisoner indulgences which should forever close the mouth of one whose treatment of its soldiers was in such striking contrast that he must have felt the more deeply his guilt again it has been frequently complained of during the trial that the court has excluded the declarations of the prisoner made in his own behalf and has refused to allow him in other instances to show what he did i think the court will remember that in every case the whole of any particular transaction has been given for and against the prisoner and that the res geste properly so called has never been excluded all the prison records in possession of the government which could throw any light upon this case are in evidence the prisoner has been allowed to show acts of kindness wherever they could with any legal propriety be given as for instance the taking of drummer boys out of the stockade because of their youth the allowing miss rawson to administer to the wants of one soldier the giving of passes to ministers of the gospel to enter the stockade his letters and reports with reference to the wants of the prison his kindness to the prisoners whom he detailed for duty outside the stockade and many other things all of which we shall show hereafter are not incompatible with the idea of his guilt but even admitting more than is claimed or proved for the prisoner in regard to his urging winder and the rebel authorities to do certain things the law is clear that if a party remain in a conspiracy though protesting against it and seeking to escape from it or if he continue in an unlawful enterprise insisting that he does not mean to do harm yet if harm results or serious and criminal consequences follow he is nevertheless responsible if in the course of one year's pursuit of an illegal business a stupendous crime indeed the perpetrator could show less than this prisoner has shown in his favour he would not be entitled to the human name it would be strange indeed if this record of five thousand pages of thirty-eight days of weary laborious trial presented no wrong rulings no improper exclusion or admission of evidence in a greater or less degree pertinent to some issue made but i assert with all confidence and with honest belief that the interests of this prisoner have not been and cannot be affected injuriously by such action in any instance that can be named it must not be forgotten and to do this i call the special attention of the counsel and of the court 
that nowhere in this record can there be found the exclusion of a scintilla of evidence bearing on the defence to the charge of murder and to which this prisoner is more especially called to answer there is another fact to which i would also call the attention of the counsel and the court and it is this that if after a careful examination of the evidence there be found sufficient legal proof legally spread upon the record you must proceed with your finding without regard to any illegal evidence and not as the counsel would insist declare the whole vitiated this is sustained by reason and by law wherever it comes up to the true standard which after all is but the perfection of human reason the only instance in which appellate courts remand cases for new trial is where from the bill of exceptions presented they cannot determine whether the jury were or were not misled by the evidence improperly admitted but where they find that the errors complained of were not material or where the verdict is sustained after disregarding the errors no courts will subject the parties to a second trial or interpose to save the complainant out of place as this may be in the order of my argument i have deemed it just to say this much sufferings at andersonville we come now to notice the evidence spread upon the record with regard to the sufferings of union prisoners at andersonville end of part one